We read the word of the Lord this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. We read this in connection with the instruction of the head of our catechism, Lord's Day 15, which teaches us about the suffering of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, tabernacle meaning dwelling or even one's body, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of 2 Corinthians 5 and many other passages of Holy Scripture that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 15, found on page 9 in the back of the Psalter. Question 37, what dost thou understand by the words he suffered? That he, all the time that he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind, that so by his passion, as the only propitiatory sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation, and obtain for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate? as judge, that he, being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. Is there anything more in his being crucified than if he had died some other death? Yes, there is. For thereby I am assured that he took on him the curse which lay upon me, for the death of the cross was accursed of God. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the words that God gives to you and to me to consider this morning are but two words. He suffered. Imagine that you were reading through the obituary of someone that you knew, someone that you loved, there on the obituary, after the death of this friend of yours, was found that succinct phrase, he suffered. And imagine with me that this was an individual that had suffered all of their life long, even from their birth. That this individual had been born with we might call a handicap or a disease, an affliction that 
troubled the flesh of this individual for the entire span of his life. Every day he woke up and he faced the burden of that thorn in the flesh which never was taken away from him until at last this individual died. And then you read the obituary. And there on the obituary is the phrase, He suffered. And as you reflect upon the statement found in the obituary, on the one hand you would say that this captures the entirety of what this individual went through throughout his earthly existence. Every single day for this individual, he suffered. It says it all. But on the other hand, as you reflect on what is recorded there, you would say this hardly even begins to tell the tale of what this individual went through. Simply to say he suffered does not describe the extent of his sufferings. It does not describe the anguish and the pain that he endured, not just in his body, but in his soul. It does not detail or describe for us the way in which this individual responded to the sufferings, the patience, the long-suffering, the forbearance of this individual as daily he suffered. And so on the other hand, as you reflect on this statement in the obituary, you would say there is so much more. Books could be written which would lay out in further detail the fact that he suffered. This morning, as it were, we look at the obituary of our Lord and Savior. This is an obituary penned by our forefathers hundreds of years ago. An expression found in uh, the Catholic undoubted faith expressed in the Apostles' Creed. He suffered. And on the one hand, it hardly begins to tell the amount, the severity of what Christ endured. But on the other hand, it gets right to the heart of what Christ lived through every day on this earth. He suffered. We look this morning at the suffering of our Savior under the theme, our suffering Savior. First, we'll consider his passion. Second, his innocence. Third, his death. Answer 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism describes the passion or suffering of our Savior. We confess there that he all the time that he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, sustained in body and soul the wrath of God 
against the sins of all mankind. Catechism helps us to understand here the answer to the question, when? When did Christ suffer all the time that he lived on the earth? His suffering was not limited to the cross or to the hours leading up to the cross, though certainly it was at that time on the cross, especially the three hours of darkness, that he felt most keenly the wrath of God against him for the sins of of mankind. But the suffering of Jesus Christ was endured all his life long. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, when he who was God, and who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, came into the mire and filth of this world, born of a woman in a manger. Because there was no room for him in the inn, he suffered. Throughout the whole of Jesus' earthly ministry, he suffered. He suffered physically in his body as he had to walk countless miles from one town to the next town, bringing the word of God unto his people. He suffered in that he did not even have a place that was his own home to live. The scriptures tell us that the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, And yet the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He suffered. He suffered throughout his ministry in that he was time and time again rejected of those who heard his word. And perhaps most Keenly throughout his ministry, that rejection was felt when he went to his own hometown where he'd been raised. And he brought the word there to the people in Nazareth, and they heeded that word, and they attempted to push him off the edge of the cliff. He suffered. But he suffered not just in his body, but the catechism tells us as well that he suffered in his soul. All the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind. And here this is so difficult for us even to begin to relate to, much less understand the suffering that Jesus Christ endured in his soul. The physical suffering that he endured, that we can understand in large part for, that's common to all mankind. But the suffering that he endured in his soul as he endured the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind. Who can even begin to understand, much less relate to that type of suffering that Jesus endured? Day by day, 
As Jesus went from town to town ministering to God's people, Jesus had this thought that God is angry with me because of the sins of mankind. Who could even muster up the strength to rise up out of bed and begin the work of the day if you had that thought on your mind? He suffered. But then what makes this suffering all the more stark, beloved, is when we consider who suffered. That's really what makes the suffering of this man unique. Every man upon this earth suffers. Every man has afflictions, thorns in the flesh, hurts, aches, sicknesses. We're reminded of that as a congregation even just this morning. Having heard the announcement of regarding Reverend and Mrs. Klein in the Philippines. If it were just the case that simply another man had suffered in his body and in his soul, then there would be nothing exceptional, nothing noteworthy about the suffering of this individual. And there would be no book written about him that has endured throughout all the ages. If it was just another man who had suffered upon this earth, then we would not be congregated in this, the house of God, on this morning. There is something unique about the identity of the one who suffered. And who is it that suffered in body and in soul the wrath of God throughout all of his lifetime. It was none other than the only begotten Son of God who suffered. It was the one who was the promised seed of David, the promised Emmanuel, the Messiah, who had come as the Prince of Peace upon this earth. And there that Prince of Peace suffered all of his life long, born of a woman and the only begotten Son of God. And as the Son of God who suffered, then, uh, beloved, we can say, it was God who suffered. God suffered in body and in soul for the sins of all mankind. God was in Christ. According to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. That's what made the suffering of our Lord and our Savior unique. But who else was this one who suffered? 
who daily faced the wrath of God. Beloved, it was your friend. It was the one who loves you so much that he came into this world for your sakes. The wonder of the cross becomes the more real to us when we contemplate the fact that the one who died on that hill, Golgotha, was our dear friend and our closest lover. It wasn't just some person from whom we are detached who died there. Then we could be almost almost uncaring in our response to that news. Daily on the news from the world, we hear reports of individuals who suffer and who die. We hear of individuals who even are put to death because they've committed this or that crime. And when we hear of the reports from the world of individuals who suffer and who die, we might be moved momentarily, but then so quickly we forget about that report of the world and we go on with the busyness of our lives. But not so as we hear and respond to the report of this individual who suffered. This was your closest friend and companion who suffered on the cross. So close are you united unto this friend who died on the cross that we were with him there at the cross. And so as we hear then the report of this man who suffered all his life long, we cannot help but then be moved in our hearts and souls as we respond to that report. And how the suffering of our Savior then helps put in perspective our own sufferings. We do suffer upon this earth so much so that we groan out in pain. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. For as long as we are in this tabernacle, that is, for as long as we remain upon this present earth with all of its afflictions and miseries, we groan. And at times it seems that that's the best that we as mankind can do upon this earth, is groan and cry out in pain. It belongs to the kingdom of this earth that there is suffering. Paul says that we know, quote, that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Romans 8.22 And in all likelihood as we look ahead to the future, though we might hope that that suffering would decrease, it probably will increase. As we age, we experience more and more the afflictions and the weaknesses of the body. 
as the hands grow feeble and as the knees grow weak, the infirmities of the flesh are experienced more keenly. But not just as we age is it the case that we experience more and more sufferings, but also this, beloved, as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, the Word of God tells us that there will be more and more sufferings on this earth. There will be the persecution of the church. There will be that worldwide rebellion of the anti-Christian kingdom against the kingdom of God as they seek to inflict pain upon the people of God. And so the Word of God tells us that we are to watch and be ready for that coming of Jesus Christ, for it comes not without suffering. For as long as we remain here below, it is God's will that we suffer. But how do you respond to that suffering? Doctors oftentimes are limited in their ability to remove earthly suffering. Elders, ministers, church members pray for you, but they as well cannot take that suffering away from you. How do you respond when God places a trial in your life? One of the helps that God is pleased to give unto us is His Son, Jesus Christ as God points us to His lifelong suffering that He endured in body and in soul. Much of the suffering of Jesus Christ, at least His bodily suffering, we can in some measure relate to. But there's one aspect of His suffering that we cannot understand, not just that He endured the wrath of God, but also this, that he suffered innocently. Heidelberg Catechism speaks of the innocence of Jesus Christ in his suffering. In answer 38, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? That he, being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. The scriptures record for us the history of the trial of Jesus Christ, which trial, including under Pontius Pilate, made abundantly clear that this man was innocent. There stood Jesus Christ before Pilate. He had been unjustly captured by Judas Iscariot and the band of soldiers that took him out of the Garden of Gethsemane. He had been betrayed with that kiss of betrayal by Judas. And then eventually he was brought before Pilate. And there he stood before Pilate. And from a human point of view, he was weak and defenseless. He had no attorney, no defense attorney, who was going to stand up for him. Nobody who was going to defend him. Even his own disciples rejected him. Peter denied him three times over before the cock crowed thrice. 
There stands Jesus Christ by himself before that earthly judge, Pilate. The crowds are bringing their accusations against Jesus Christ, and they accuse Jesus Christ of making trouble throughout the land of Canaan. They say that this man claims that he is the king of the Jews. They accuse Jesus Christ of saying that he claims that you don't have to give tribute unto Caesar, but instead you are to worship him. An element of truth in their claims and an element of lie in their claims. And so Pilate turned to Jesus Christ and asked Jesus Christ if he had an answer. And Jesus Christ did not answer them. And so Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He's innocent. But the crowds persisted, saying he stirs up the people from Galilee to Jerusalem. He's trying to bring this uprising against the earthly government. So Pilate reiterated, I find no fault in him. And yet still they insisted that this man must be killed for his wrongdoing. So Pilate tried to appease them by offering them the option. Whom will you that I release to you? Will you have me release Barabbas unto you, a known criminal? Or will you have me release Jesus unto you? And they clamored, give unto us Barabbas and take this man Jesus and crucify him. And so at last Pilate acquiesced to the desires of the crowds and he testified, I find no fault in him. Take him away. Do with him as you will. And they took him away to be crucified. Now the question we face this morning is, for what purpose did God ordain this innocent condemnation of his beloved son, Jesus Christ? Two things come out from this innocent condemnation of Christ. First of all, God used this event to show the heart of the world as the world comes into contact with God and God's own Son, Jesus Christ. This judgment showed that the world had no place in their hearts for Jesus Christ. Pilate as he gave his verdict unto Jesus Christ and gave unto them the commandment to crucify him and gave the soldiers as well to hang him upon that tree, represented the whole world. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate had affirmed that truth several times over. And yet, in spite of the innocence of the man on trial, Pilate condemned Jesus Christ unto death. And through Pilate, the whole world gives voice to their thoughts regarding Jesus 
Christ. The whole world understands that Jesus Christ is innocent. That He is blameless. That Jesus Christ has done no wrong unto them. And yet, what would the world do as the world stands by Jesus Christ? They would give that same verdict that Pilate gave. Take Him away and crucify Him. It was clear there at the trial of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ represented light and that there was no darkness in Him at all. It was clear that Jesus Christ was the revelation of the Father who had gone throughout the land proclaiming the word of His Father, performing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead to life again. It was clear that this man, Jesus Christ, stood for grace, for truth, and for love. And it was clear that the mobs of people who surrounded Jesus Christ, who were opposed to Him, cared nothing about those virtues of Jesus Christ, but despised Him exactly because He stood for those honorable virtues. Jesus Christ stood there before the crowds of mankind. And the question then that mankind had to face is, how do you respond to this man, Jesus Christ? And the unanimous answer of the world is, Kill him. And the unanimous answer of the church was kill him. You see, beloved, we are no different than the world. It was not just the world with their ungodliness, with their impenitence, with their open distaste for Christ and his kingdom, who said, kill him. But you and I, by nature, would chime in with the very same verdict. Kill him. There is no place in our hearts for this man who claims to be the king of the Jews. Can you see how this added yet another level to the suffering that Christ endured? Christ knew that his own familiar friends would not stand with him in that darkest hour. That in the first place is the reason for this innocent condemnation to make abundantly clear the contrast or to show abundantly clear how the world and we by nature respond to Christ. The second reason why Jesus Christ was condemned 
innocently was so that he could face the wrath of God. That he being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were opposed. It would not have been possible for Jesus Christ to go to the cross and to take our place there on that cross if Jesus Christ had committed a single sin against Jehovah God. And so it was necessary that Jesus Christ be pure, be absolute and perfect light all of his life long, so that then when he stood before Pilate, he could be condemned to that cross and thus stand before the wrath of God. So what we must understand is it wasn't just Pilate who gave the verdict there on that Friday. But there was another voice speaking there. There was another voice that was condemning Jesus Christ to this bitter, shameful end. And that voice that concurred with the judgment of Pilate was none other than the voice of God the Father. And God the Father condemned His own Son to that tree. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. God, according to his determinate counsel and foreknowledge, determined that his son, Jesus Christ, would go to the cross. And so, when Pilate said there on that day, he's innocent, I find no fault in him, God concurred with that and expressed, yes, he is innocent according to himself. He has done no wrong throughout all of his earthly ministry. His will has perfectly been in conformity with my will. He has loved me and delighted in me as his Father who has begotten him from all eternity. But on the other hand, when Pilate on that Friday said, crucify him, take him away and hang him on that tree, God the Father said, Take him and bring him away to that tree and crucify him, for he is guilty. Why is he guilty? Because God made him guilty. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For he, speaking of God, for he hath made him, Christ, to be sin. For us who knew no sin. God made his own son, Jesus Christ, to be sin for you. And that's the paradox and the mystery of the cross.
that on the one hand, God was never more pleased with His Son. In that moment, when His Son was taken to that tree and hanged upon the cross, for the Son was performing the highest act of obedience and submission to His Father's will. But on the other hand, God was never more angry with His Son than at that moment when God condemned Him to die. Because as God looked on His Son, God saw your and my sins. He suffered in His innocent condemnation and He suffered in his death. The soldiers took him, they pierced his hands and his ankles. There he was hanged for six hours. For the first three hours of the crucifixion, there was light upon this earth. There was something, as it were, that could take Jesus' mind off of the suffering that he endured in his body and in his soul is the inexpressible anguish of God's wrath was endured. There were the cross words that he could utter. There were family and friends who stood afar whom he could see and times even talk with. He spoke, telling the disciple John to care for his mother, Mary. But then in the second three hours upon the cross, there was nothing to take the mind of Jesus Christ off of the suffering that he endured. God put a blanket of darkness upon this earth to hide from view the agonies that his son endured. The sound splat, splat of the drips of blood of our precious Savior hitting the ground. But the keenest agony felt not in his body, but in his soul. As God turned away from his son, his favor, and poured out wrath upon him. Jesus Christ crying out from his heart and his soul, My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? And there he died, that accursed death, so that he might deliver you from your sins and from your miseries. But love the Savior revealed for us And that he willingly took that curse upon himself 
and gave up his life at Calvary. Jesus Christ made no attempt to defend himself when he was on trial or when he was being hanged upon that cross. He did not make a case for his innocence. He did not argue that he should be let free, but he went. Why? Because he understood what would have been the cost if he had stood up for his own innocence. If he had defended his own innocence and not gone to the cross, it would have cost him his marriage. He would have lost his bride had he refused to go to the cross. And so in love, he went. To wit, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. <coughs> Thereby we confess in Heidelberg Catechism, I am assured. Is there something more in his being crucified than if he had died some other death? Yes, there is. For thereby I am assured that he took on him the curse which lay upon me, for the death of the cross was accursed of God. This is my assurance, and this is your assurance, that Jesus Christ took upon him the curse of God. Your assurance is not that God will take suffering out of your life, your assurance is not that you have done enough good works to satisfy the righteous demands of God. Your assurance is not that you have been so fervent in prayer, so frequent in devotions, that God looks down upon you and is pleased with you for your righteousness. We are all unprofitable servants. But this is your assurance, and this is my assurance that Jesus Christ, your friend and your Lord, took upon him the curse due to us. May God fill us with the spirit of Jesus Christ that we might live daily in the knowledge of that finished work. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank thee for the love of Jesus Christ which constrains us, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit, and which gives unto us, Father, the ability to love thee and to love the neighbor. Father, wilt thou forgive whatever was done or said in sin and receive our worship for Jesus' sake. Amen.